0: And then after dinner like this guy and like all the all the farmhands they disappear around like kind of this building and I hear the slide release on a pistol <laughs> like what I go and I look and then he like kind of waves me over with a gun he's like come
1: here This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we hear stories of adventure from every corner of the planet. We interview all sorts of folks who are using their sport to explore the world around them and give you the inspiration you need to get out there and have some fun. Hey folks, today's episode is from almost three years ago now, and I remember listening to it back in 2017 uh, when I was just a fan of Adventure Sports Podcast and not the host. Uh, but as you know, on Thursdays we do throwback episodes a lot of the time. Sometimes we play shows from uh, my other show or episodes from my other show without compromise. Uh, but today we're going all the way back to listen to Ryan Kodak Brown, Uh, to tell us about his trip from Canada to Panama on a bike, which is, uh, you know, if you know me, you know I love bike touring. That's my background. And it's a pretty wild experience, as you heard in the little snippet at the beginning of the episode. It's pretty cool stuff. But um, other than that, let's see announcements. We're still plugging away with quarantine. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying healthy. I hope you're helping folks in need. I hope you're, you know sharing some love, some positivity. And uh, yeah, I really, really appreciate you checking in today. I know everyone's um, routines thrown off. So, you know, you might not be listening to episodes or podcasts as much as you were before. I know I'm not really, but but anyway, uh, today's episode was hosted by Kurt, like I said, almost three years ago. And the original was episode 282. So uh, yeah, enjoy, and I hope you get inspired for when things open back up again. We can all get out there and do these adventures we've been daydreaming of for the last two months. All right, enjoy.
0: Hi,
2: friends. Welcome again to another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. Man, I am so glad that you take the time to listen to what we're throwing out there and i have to say thanks to all of our wonderful guests who provide us with such great content and amazing adventures and i have another one today i've got ryan kodak brown ryan brown grew up in pittsburgh and uh he kind of had a choppy childhood trying to sort things out as a young man and then started doing adventure sports as a way of of uh Growing his world might be a way to say it. He biked from Canada to El Salvador in 2014, and we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that trip because it was just epic. But he's also through-hiked the Appalachian Trail. He's done some other really cool long-distance bike rides and races. And so I'm really looking forward to talking to Ryan today. Ryan, welcome to the program.
0: Hi, Kurt. How you doing?
2: Good, man. It's so cool to have you on. So i got to say up front... We found you, and the, for one of the first things I did was start kind of looking at your Instagram and stuff, because you've got some amazing shots, just some really cool stuff. So I'm going to say this up front, so while people are listening, if they're on a laptop, they can go to Instagram and see some of your work. How about that? Yeah, sounds great. So your Instagram name is Ryan Kodak Brown, just all one word. So go to Ryan Kodak Brown on Instagram, and you'll be able to see some pictures that go with what we're talking about today, so... Well, Ryan, let's start out, man. Um, so you grew up in Pittsburgh. What was that like?
0: Um, it was a good place to grow up. It's very uh, Pittsburgh's like a green city, so we spent a lot of time outdoors, a lot of time going like biking, kayaking, and yeah, just being outside.
2: Well, dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out here. You were kind enough to tell me that as a kid you had a lot of anxiety, and that you were struggling with fear, and that it was adventure sports that allowed you to overcome all of that, and so. I think that that is really
0: cool. So, how did adventure sports help out in that way? Oh, man. Adventure sports, they gave me the, I guess, just like the confidence and just ability to put myself out there. And I don't know, just to like face all the things I was actually afraid of. I mean, when you're just like in the middle of nowhere, just riding a bicycle, it's intense and you have to deal with your problems. You can't hide from them. You have to deal with things face on, or else, I don't know.
2: Well, I I really agree with you and believe in what you're talking about. I think that when people take on a challenge, and especially if that challenge includes some alone time to do some of that inside work, you know what I mean? Then we learn so much about ourselves, and it grows us. It really, really grows us. So let's see. Your first big adventure was not going from Canada to El Salvador. Rather, it was... Oh, help me out here! You were riding to Maine and back, right?
0: Right. So yeah, I set out from Pittsburgh and rode to Maine.
2: Tell us why you set out on that trip, and just a few bullet points about what that trip was all about.
0: Um, So I did a, I had a one-week bike tour like a few weeks before I left, and I fell in love with it. It changed kind of everything about my life. Just that, I mean, just like the freedom that comes with being outside and the challenge and adventure of it. So I went home. I quit my job. I ended a relationship, and then I just kind of biked to Maine. <laughs> I mean, wow! So you 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 uh,
2: ended the relationship. You quit your job, and said, "I'm biking." Yeah. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> wow, that's that's quick. Are you glad you did it?
0: Oh, I mean, it changed. I mean, the entire course and direction of my life. Yeah. I mean, I can have this conversation now, like, back then, like, I couldn't really talk to people I didn't, like, know well.
2: Wow. So, what was it like when you took off solo and you're headed to Maine? Were you apprehensive then? Was it, was it scary being your first big trip like that?
0: Um, the first part of it was on the Great Atlantic Passage, so I had already, like, ridden the first hundred and some miles of it, so that wasn't so scary. It was once I started to leave that trail and then just kind of like that, like, because I mean, on the trail, you can camp anywhere. There's camping all along it. But outside of that, you're just kind of, I mean, you're just on the road, like in the real world. And then, yeah, that was scary (laughs) for sure. Huh. So did you ever want to turn around?
2: Were you, were you like pedaling along saying, I can't believe I just quit my job. And, uh, how's this going to turn out? You know, what were you going through? (laughs)
0: Oh yeah. There was, I mean, most of it was, it was awesome and epic, but there was definitely a couple like really low moments, some of the hills and carrying like heavy gear. Like, I mean, when you're going uphill and uphill and downhill and uphill again, it's exhausting. Right. And it just, where's y'all? you don't want to do it anymore, but so, then one of the most intense, sorry.
2: No, go ahead. It's all good. I was just going to ask you talking about heavy gear. Uh, I see a picture here of you with your bike packing set up. Now, was that what you were biking with then? or were you using panniers or a trailer what made it heavy
0: um i had i had two front panniers and then i was pulling a trailer like a single wheeled like bob kind of trailer okay and what made it heavy was just i mean i was new to everything so i was carrying i started out carrying a cooler and a bunch of heavy <laughs> stuff wild
2: so how much of that stuff did you shed by the time you got to maine
0: Oh, a lot of it. Most everything, <laughs> everything that I couldn't
2: like live without. So what would you recommend to people who want to do something like you just said? They're like, I'm, I'm going to get on a bike and I'm going to go. I just got to do this. What are the essentials that they really do need to take?
0: Oh, man. So, I mean, like the top 10 are like things that are always covered, but I don't even know that I could list them off the top of my head. But I mean, you need the. I think the best thing is to think of it in terms of a system. So you want to think of in terms of like, OK, how am I going to sleep tonight? And how can I be as light as possible yet still, like, staying, like, safe, warm, and dry? Um, and then if you're going to, like, like your food set up, what do you need for water? What do you need for food? Do you need to cook? Are you going to carry a stove? And if so, how can you be light about that? And then your clothing. And then just, like, kind of comfort items, miscellaneous stuff like phones and headphones, journals. Yep. I, that's
2: excellent advice right there. That's how I pack for a backpacking trip, even. I, I think about okay, how am I going to sleep? How am I going to stay clean? How am I going to eat? And then I always think, you know, how am I going to take care of the toilet stuff? You know, if you got <laughs> if you have that covered, you're pretty much there. Of course, you got to add first aid to that, right? And then depending right. on the trip, you're going to have to have different types of clothing, of course, to to manage the weather that you're going to encounter. So, but that's that's great advice, man. That's that's a really good way to plan stuff out. So, how are you biking now after a lot of miles man thousands and thousands of miles under your belt now um, you said you started out with panniers and a trailer. What about these days what would you do
0: um so now I've gone to like a, to like a bike packing setup which would just be like no racks every like the bags are all like basically just like kind of strapped onto a bike. you can get away with doing it cheap by like literally just like strapping dry bag to your handlebar you can strap one under your seat post you can like sew your own frame bag just. I mean, a bag that literally just fits inside the inner triangle of the bicycle frame. So you've got everything on there without panniers. And,
2: you know, we've talked to a lot of people that do bike packing, and they say panniers just can't hold up to being off-road. If you're on a rough trail, they, they tend to fall apart. So that's why everyone went to kind of dry bags strapped to the bike. Um, so would you use panniers if you're on a road ride?
0: Uh, I mean, now I would still probably use the bike packing setup just because it's more aerodynamic and I mean, my kit's so small these days that it fits really easily onto like a bike packing setup. But panniers are certainly easier. Um, if I still had them, I sold my panniers. But if I did, like, I mean, they're just, they're convenient. They're so like easy to clip off and just, I mean, you can use them as kind of like regular luggage. Whereas with the bike packing bags, they're kind of, they, they're just a little more difficult to pack and they tend to like stay on your bicycle.
2: Mm, okay. Well, one thing I know from, doing a lot of distance road biking when I was younger, is that the wind is actually the biggest issue. A lot of people think it's it's the hills <laughs> you have to climb, but, dude, it's the wind. Was that, was that your experience, too?
0: Oh, yeah, the wind is brutal. Yeah,
2: the wind, like, it'll literally, like, suck your soul. <laughs> I like that. It does feel that way. I mean, some days it just... You, I don't know, I can't describe it, but it, it the wind can just sit there and it goes on and on and <laughs> on. You know what I mean? And you, it, you still oh, oh, yeah. unbelievable. So here's the quick, the question then with your bike packing set you said you're a little bit more aerodynamic than with the panniers. So how much of an improvement is that?
0: Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to like quantify, quantify that. Uh, just, you have just way less drag since you don't have like the panniers, like sticking off the bicycle. Which, actually, I should add, like, panniers make you almost safer on the road because they do make you wider. Uh-huh. So cars will give you, like, a wider berth to go around you. But, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, but no matter what, like, even if you don't have any weight on the bike, like, I mean, the wind is just, it's, it's brutal no matter what you do. Yeah, unless it's at your back, and then it's your best friend. But.
2: Well, let's go back to this trip to Maine. Um, so you're biking up to Maine and then back down to, to Pittsburgh again. And how many miles, first of all, roughly? It was around 2,000. 2,000 miles. And did you do it all solo?
0: Uh, yeah. I ran into a guy from Spain somewhere, and I think I was, I was getting near Maine at that point. We rode together for a day, but yeah, otherwise it was just me. Wow. Lots of uh,
2: quiet time then. Oh, yeah. So what was your favorite part of that trip? Oh,
0: man. um, Wow. I don't know I mean looking back on it like I think just it's everything just like that I learned from it just how much I grew and then everything that kind of came from that trip because I just wanted to do it more and more but as far as like an actual day on that trip like I don't know I had some great camping spots on the beach in New Jersey Mm. uh, just sleeping right on the beach yeah that's that's cool did you have a stretch of road or trail that was your favorite for biking um uh, the great alaney passage and the cno canal towpath are great i mean that's just it's 350 miles of car free like car free trail so it's easy nice. you can camp anywhere there's food all along it yeah yeah it's really and then once nice. you get into maine i mean all of maine is just it's gorgeous nice rolling hills and you're riding along the water up through like massachusetts into new hampshire yeah, beautiful forests up there, too. Yeah.
2: Really, really cool stuff. Um, did you start this trip in fairly good shape, or did you have a, a lot of uh, fitness to work on on this trip?
0: Oh, man, I had a lot of fitness to work on, like, especially like compared to like, my level of fitness now. I mean, I was always, I was still like, I mean, relatively fit. Like I was working outside my whole life pretty much. So, I mean, I was, I was always active, but I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was fit. So what was it like the first few days? Oh my goodness. My butt never hurt so bad in my life.
2: (laughs) I hear that all the time. How long did it take for that to get better?
0: Uh, About three days. I'd say it's worse. on like day two is probably like the worst. And then maybe even into day three. And then after that, like, yeah, it doesn't really hurt so much anymore, but it was so painful. I couldn't like sit on my saddle. I'd have to like I'd pedal standing up and then try <laughs> to sit down and pedal standing up, take a break for a while and try to pedal for another half an hour and just keep going. But, oh,
2: so it might be that your saddle may have been a little bit subpar for your fitness for it,
0: huh? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I just didn't have the saddle time. I mean, yeah, I went from like, you know, i ride a couple hours a week to like, oh, here we go. I'm going to try to ride a bicycle for five to eight hours every single day.
2: Wow. So I know that a lot of people face that. So if someone's trying to get into cycling, they're going to have to overcome that hurdle. Any advice for them?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, get a good saddle. I use a Brooks saddle now and the Brooks has been like, it really helps me, but saddle preference, all preference, it's individual. And the other thing is just, you just have to get kind of used to it padded shorts will help a lot, padded shorts with like a, a chamois cream. Um, but I find that like for long distance, like, like the chamois is almost like it's almost worse. It'll cause saddle problems just because it does trap so many, so much moisture.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I want to mention to our listeners out there, Ryan is um, outside right now. You can hear the birds in the background and there's some water and stuff like that. And I think that is so cool. So it sounds to me like you're the you're the kind of guy like I am. You just prefer to be outside as much as you can. Is that right? Oh yeah, for sure. You think that's a prerequisite for you? Know, your biking and your hiking and that kind of stuff.
1: Um,
0: no, definitely not. I mean, you can learn to just like like to be outside. Like if you haven't spent much time, like I grew up, like we were my family, we spent a lot of time outside. So I mean, I'm just kind of used to it. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think that being
2: outside has huge benefits. Um, but here's one for you. And I haven't brought this up much on the show. It's such a simple question, but more and more I find myself fighting against sunburn. Any advice for that? I mean, you when you're out that much, you have to have a way.
0: Yeah. So I always wear, I wear long sleeves, typically long pants. I have a, like a broad brim, like sun hat for when I'm hiking and doing things like that. I find like sunscreen, the best sunscreen for your face comes in like the sticks it's a lot thicker. It's almost like a Vaseline, so it tends to stay on a lot longer. It'll actually kind of help keep you cooler because as you sweat almost like melts off, huh. and then you get like a breeze from it too.
2: <laughs> okay. So the stick sunscreen, you know, that's my problem is that I, I don't love sunscreen, so I always try to cover up the long sleeves and stuff like you're saying. But then huh? I forget to put the sunscreen back on. You know, you put it on at the beginning, and then who knows when it's not effective anymore, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't want to go off into a full show on sunscreen, but man, I got another burn again this spring. And I think I thought I was smarter than that. I don't understand. But anyway, seems like the sun's getting hotter to me. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Probably not, but it's just (laughs) my perspective, right? Well, dude, so you got back from this 2000 mile trip to Maine and then you said it made you just want to do it more and more. So what came next?
0: Um, so then I, I came back to Pittsburgh, and then I spent 2013 saving money, and then I cycled from the Canada border in Washington State to El Salvador.
2: Holy cow. So before we dive into that trip, and I want to spend quite a bit of time on that because that's epic, but before we dive into that, um, you mentioned working and saving money for the trip. And there's so many people out there that want to do these kind of mega adventures but financially it's a challenge, you know? So what recommendations do you have for them?
0: First of all, it does not cost much to take these kind of trips. Um, You're living out of your tent mostly. And then you're, I mean, if you're buying foods from supermarkets and you're not really eating out, you have a camp stove. So you can actually, you can cook pretty good foods. So you can live on as little as like $10 a day. And some people get by on even less. So for my 10 month trip to El Salvador, I think I spent around like five grand, which is actually way cheaper than it is to live at home. Wow! Um, so it costs less to travel than to stay at home. Yes, I mean it depends on your travel like preferences and how how uncomfortable you're comfortable being. But yeah. So
2: your strategy then was just to work and save up enough money to do a trip and go. Yep. You know I've talked to some people who try to work their way around the world, or they try to get sponsors, or you know, that kind of stuff. But I think it is possible to do what you're saying. You know, you choose a trip, you find a way to live in expensively, um, work until you have your money. And then, man, you could be free for a long time. How long was your trip to El Salvador? Uh, That was 10 months. 10? Oh, yeah, you just said that. 10 months. Okay. And then when you finished that trip, were you like, oh, now what do I do? Or was it pretty easy to get back into earning more money and planning for the next one?
0: Um, I mean, it's always like really shocking to come back from any kind of trip like that, like just like to try to reintegrate into society. But yeah, I went back to work within, I think I was back to work within like a few weeks. I went back actually to the same job that I had before I, before I quit. Okay. So what kind of a job did you have that allowed you that kind of freedom? Um, I was, well, I don't know that allows, I just kind of end up quitting the jobs (laughs) and then, (laughs) And then I think just the lifestyle, like people, I mean, people are interested in it. So they want, I don't know, you know, I'm a hard worker, so they'll take me back. (laughs) But, and then they love to hear the stories from all the like crazy, craziness, but, um, I do tree work. So I'm a residential climber.
2: Ah, awesome. So, um, pruning and trimming and, and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lot of removals, unfortunately, where we just like cut down entire trees, Just take it out. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So when you're doing that, I assume you have to use climbing harnesses and you're roping up and stuff a lot of the time. Yep. So you're a climber to boot. And we've actually had um, people that do sport tree climbing on the show as a sport all of its own. But you're doing that for work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Well, let's go back to Canada. And first of all, what was your route to El Salvador?
0: Um, well, so I was supposed to start in Seattle, Washington, but I took a train across the country and I had a little mishap. I got off the train and didn't make it back in time. So the train doors were locked and then people started yelling at me and the train left with all my gear on it. Oh, dude. So then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: So where so were I you? Stranded. Was
0: that in Seattle or? No, this was in Haver, Montana. So I was like halfway across the country at that point, just stranded oh, no. in this little yeah. What did you do? Um, well, I had met this guy on the train that he was, I guess, like a roughneck. He worked for, like, the oil fields. And a friend of his just got, like, fired from a job or something, so he was going to drive through. This guy said that he could drive me across and get me to Spokane, Washington, where the train splits. He said he could get me there before the train did, but the guy went to the bar and just started throwing back, like, shot after shot and <laughs> oh, got no. wasted tried to fight a bunch of people in the bar and then I don't know and then yeah long story short like like Native Americans in this bar kind of just like kind of took me and I went bar hopping with them for the rest of the night met some other people in a different bar that invited me to crash on their couch so I stayed on their couch and then the next morning I got a, a voicemail from people that found my gear on the train like they saw me like miss the train so they took <laughs> myself back to their house and said that they had it that i should come to portland oregon and i could pick it up and stay with them when i got there wild so how did you get to portland <laughs> amtrak made me buy a new ticket so i bought a ticket to portland and yeah and then i had to have, my bike actually went to seattle or it's supposed to so i had to have that shipped down to, to portland oregon as well So I guess the reason I'm asking all these detailed questions is it is
2: just fascinating that the whole adventure started earlier than you planned. (laughs) I mean, the train leaves you, you end up meeting a bunch of cool people who let you crash, right? But then you still had to get to a destination, but it wasn't the one you were planning to go to. And then you have to get your bike and yeah, crazy. So what made you go back up to Canada then?
0: Uh, i I just wanted uh, well two reasons. one, I wanted to like just like touch the Canada border and just actually like start there, but then I needed vaccinations for Central America, and it was cheaper in Canada, so that's where I started the the series Oh really, so did you go up to
2: Vancouver or where
0: um I went to to Vancouver Island okay,
2: cool. so Victoria and all
0: that Yeah, yeah. I took a ferry from Seattle through the San Juan Islands over to Sydney, rode down to Victoria, had my shots there, and then took the ferry down to the Olympic Peninsula. Uh, Very
2: cool. So you started out in a beautiful place, man. I love Vancouver Island, and the Olympic Peninsula is awesome as well. So uh, Olympic Peninsula. Now, is there a route that you were able to take that kept you out of the Olympics, or was it pretty hilly right out of the chute?
0: Uh, no, I mean, it was fairly flat because we stuck to the, like the one, the 101, but we went up to, at this point I was with, I met some people in, um, Vancouver Island. So I rode with them for most of Washington actually, but we rode to the top of hurricane Ridge and like the Olympics there. That was, I think like 17 or 18 miles straight up. Wow. But you're
2: in a lot better shape this time because you had already done your trip to Maine and back. So, um, was it hard to get back on the bike again?
0: No, because I, I sold my car after I rode to Maine, so I had just been living on a bicycle 24-7 at that point. So, I mean, I rode to work, and I think my daily commute was, like, 10 miles just to get to work and then 10 miles home.
2: Man, that's got to help. So on this trip to El Salvador, um, how many miles did you try to ride each day?
0: Um, my trip was, like, really open and flexible, so I didn't, like – I didn't set any kind of – there was no plan. There was no it- itinerary. I just rode. I'd say I average probably about 50 a day. Well, that's
2: kind of cool. You know, some people try to do it as some sort of a speed record or a personal record or, you know, that kind of thing. But I think I might do it more like that myself because I, I just love to soak up where I am. If you see something interesting along the way, you can just stop and enjoy it, right?
0: Yeah. Or go off to a different direction if you feel like, if you're bored going one way.
2: Yeah, for real. Okay. So let's, let's, talk just briefly what was your route through the US and then let's get into Mexico
0: Okay so my route through the US was it was 1 and the 101 all the way down through Washington Oregon and California
2: So you're staying on the coast Yeah Man that's a beautiful road too I uh, I can't imagine how lovely it is I've I've only seen little pieces of it myself right I've I've been on it through part of Oregon and uh, of course up in canada a little bit the highway one and and vancouver island and that kind of stuff but i don't think i went south of of oregon much so what's it like
0: um oh man it's just it's beautiful i mean so like that whole oregon coastline is just epic cliffs that just kind of drop off into the into the ocean there's a lot of like fog and mist and and then when you get into california you kind of get in like to the wine country you're still like along the ocean but yeah i don't know (laughs)
2: What, what could you tell people about experiencing travel from a bicycle compared to a, a car, let's say?
0: Oh, uh, I mean, a bicycle compared to a car, on the bicycle, you're actually like in the real world, in a car, like you just kind of exist in this artificial bubble that's just like traveling at like a high rate of speed, like you're sheltered from the elements, so you don't really get to experience the landscape or even the people around you. And then as far as, like, the speed aspect goes, like, I think the bicycle's the perfect speed for travel. It's, like, it's fast enough where you can still cover distance and still get places and see things, but then it's slow enough where you get to, like, see and experience, like, pretty much everything that you that you travel through.
2: Now, you also through-hiked the Appalachian Trail, so you would be a good person to ask. Um, biking versus hiking, which do you prefer?
0: Oh, man. Um... I guess I like them both. And for different reasons, I would say that bicycle, at least road touring, it's, it's, you're actually, you're kind of like, it's just a great way to travel to like go places and see things. Whereas with the backpacking, I mean, you're just like, it's more of like a wilderness experience where you're in the woods. Like you have all your supplies on your back. It's a lot harder in a lot of senses. You have a lot more planning involved. Hmm. Okay.
2: So, you're bike touring south, and somewhere you had to break into Mexico. So where did you cross the border?
0: I crossed in Baja at, um, into Tijuana.
2: Okay, so Tijuana. Um, we've had some guests on the show, and they, they all kind of say, well, the, the scariest part was crossing into the border towns. Was that an issue for you, or did you give it much thought?
0: Um, it was, no, yeah, it was terrifying, actually. Like, I think somewhere around... Somewhere like the middle of California, I started to have just like horrible nightmares every night. Like the closer oh, I no. got to, <laughs> yeah, the closer I got to Mexico, I mean, just like the scarier and just more real everything was becoming. Like, I mean, my dad was terrified. Everybody thought I was going to be murdered and kidnapped and held for ransom. And I mean, that's <laughs> all I heard when I told anybody about what I was about to do. <laughs> Well, with that kind of
2: uh, expectation, you know, everyone telling you that stuff, what gave you the the guts to say, I'm doing it anyway?
0: I, I just, I didn't want to give in to fear, you know? Like, I mean, a lot of other people have done trips like this, so I knew I could do it. And it was just, just I mean, just getting over the fear. And then I also find that, like, I don't know, sometimes, like, the things you're most afraid of are probably the things that you should do most. I mean, just for that the growth that comes out of it.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good words. Of course, I'm afraid of jumping into a live volcano and I don't think I'll do that.
0: (laughs) I mean, with the proper equipment, you mean? Oh,
2: well, no, with the equipment, that'd be awesome. I'm I'm talking about just diving into the lava flow, you know?
0: Yeah, I guess I wouldn't recommend that. That would be a different kind of fear.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, you have to have some parameters, but I totally get what you're talking about you find something that scares you a little bit and that may end up being the best experience ever. Once you do it.
0: Right. If you're not afraid, like you're not really being challenged.
2: Huh? So when you did cross the border, Tijuana, Baja,
0: was it what you expected or did you, were you surprised? Oh man, I had no idea what to expect. So we, I ended up, I rode Baja with another person with uh, Felix from Germany. We were stuck waiting for a hurricane it was I think I forget the name of the hurricane, but it was the worst hurricane that hit Baja in, in decades. So we got stuck waiting to see like what the what the road conditions would be like and to see if we could actually even like ride wow. the road. Yeah. So and then as far as like Baja itself, like I think one of the most shocking things that we first saw was just like these like these like F one fifties with I mean, five guys in the back, all like armed to the teeth and full like SWAT suits. like <laughs> watching the military drive up and down the roads
2: yeah they probably had uh, machine guns and everything else
0: oh yeah <laughs> did that make you feel any safer knowing that they were there um good question i don't know that if i felt safer i mean it was uh, it was really intimidating because it's just it's so different from the u.s like that's something you don't really see here Well, I guess the northern
2: border of Mexico can feel somewhat like a war zone, but I have heard people say many times that as soon as you get farther south into Mexico, it's just wonderful. Wonderful people, wonderful culture, wonderful land.
0: Was that your experience? Oh, yeah. I love Mexico. Yeah, it's a great place. Great food, great people. I mean, warm and inviting. Yeah. Oh, that's
2: wild. So you went down Baja, and then I guess you took a ferry across to the the mainland there at some point, right? Yep. Yep. Um, what next? So you're going down through Mexico. Did you go into Honduras next or, or what?
0: Um, well, so I took the ferry to the mainland and then I split off from the guy I was riding with and rode North. So I went up through and rode through the mountains of Copper Canyon. That's like the area where, um, the book born to run that started like the whole, like the barefoot craze went Ah, through. Okay. So what was that like? Oh, that was, it was the most epic part of my entire trip, and it, like, kind of changed, like, everything that I was doing. Before that, I had been riding, like, riding fast, riding every day. I wasn't taking time off. But when I went through that area, it was really remote. I didn't hear English or very much English for probably three weeks, almost a month. It was just kind of, like, dirt roads, like, through these epic canyons. There was some pretty terrible storms. I got taken in by, like, by indigenous people. And, yeah, I got to, like eat with people that lived in like adobe brick buildings with nothing no electricity no nothing they ate from a pile of corn in the in the corner of the building that they grew themselves
2: Mm. so did you find that they were uh i don't even know how to ask the question really it just seems like at at first glance people think well if someone's living with so little then they must be miserable. But in my experience, I don't find that they're miserable. What was your experience?
0: No, I found it was like the opposite. Like they seemed to be really happy. I mean, they had they had problems. They had there was a lot of like mining activity that was coming in and like threatening their lands and their resources. But other than that, I mean, they lived a simple lifestyle and they seem to they seem to like it. I mean, yeah. Hmm. So did you speak Spanish? No, when I crossed, I didn't really speak any Spanish. Did they speak Spanish? That's another question, I guess. Um, They did, actually, and they taught me a lot of Spanish because their Spanish is like textbook. They speak like a very clean Spanish because it's a second language for them.
2: Right. You know, I recently heard that there are over 60 languages in Mexico, and a lot of people don't realize that, I think. But, I mean, obviously Spanish is is the, the main language, but there are over 60 different languages in Mexico. Isn't that crazy? It is, yeah. So uh, what happened next?
0: Um, So then I kept riding south. Well, I guess I started riding south again. I went down and rode through the middle of the country. I rode into Mexico City and spent about a month there. And actually, after Copper Canyon, I started, I would spend weeks in places. I would just hole up and just try to, like, actually slow down, enjoy it, and, like, see the places I was riding through instead of, like, just so mile hungry, just, like, trying to always go.
2: So I'll bet you met some wonderful people and had some amazing experiences with them.
0: For sure. Yeah, people would like randomly invite me into their homes. People would stop on the side of the road to like, I mean, just try to feed me, clothe me. I had construction workers like insist on like riding me because they see a guy on a bicycle on a highway and think there must be a problem. And with my limited (laughs) Spanish, (laughs) it it was really difficult to like convey that. No, I actually want to be here. There's no problem. And a once wild. they finally understood that, they gave me a safety flag, some Gatorade, and then they would drive past and check up on me every once in a while.
2: <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So the it, let's go back just a little bit. Here you are in Mexico, and you said you started spending weeks just enjoying where you were, and you got to know the people, and you're having a lot of cultural exchanges and stuff like that. Contrast that and the Ryan you are at that point, if you would— with the Ryan you were when you first decided to try to bike to Maine.
0: Hmm. Um wow. So I mean that Ryan whenever he would like get to a place and like stop, he couldn't actually spend time there. Like I mean just to like sit on a beach actually, like I mentioned like sleeping on this beautiful beach, I think that was in New Jersey. And then what I didn't say was like the next day was one of the worst days of the whole trip because I got so like the loneliness from that it was so intense I couldn't stand it anymore and just like I tried to spend two days but couldn't And packed up my stuff and I left and then I was going to take a ferry into New York City and I went to just like camp there and some guy invited me into his house and it was the first time that had ever happened to me and he takes me in and he (laughs) feeds me lets me shower gives me ice cream and then I go and like explore like New Jersey with his family and I don't know. I never really had that same like that lonely experience anymore. I realized that the world is like just full of people that actually like that want to help you or just just good people. The world is mostly good people. And then after that, yeah, like I said, I didn't really get that loneliness anymore. So then that Ryan that was in Mexico now, like, like loved that. I wanted to spend time places and just sit there and hang out and meet the people and eat the foods and yeah, just
2: explore. Wow. So what did you learn about the people of Mexico that
0: might be surprising to to others? I don't don't know. I mean, the whole culture is just different. I mean, obviously, it's a different culture, but they seem to live more in the moment. They just kind of, like, really love and appreciate life. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's really hard for me to try to, like, talk about an entire culture as a whole, especially, like as you go through different parts of Mexico, just like in the United States, like the people are different in all the different locations.
2: Yeah. Isn't it funny how we tend to stereotype, you know, we'd say, Oh, there's Mexico. It's like this, (laughs) right? And then you go there and it's like, wait a minute, there's a whole world right here in this one country.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I will say like Mexico, it's definitely, it's a, it's a third world country that has a lot of problems. There's a lot of poverty. Mm. And I had not many people, but some people that, Almost had an issue with me for being there, like, even though I was there, like, I mean, relatively poor on a bicycle, like, they still saw me as like this guy that's actually able to do these things.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. You know, I I traveled to Kenya and there was a lot of that that, you know, we got from the people there. They were like, how can how can you afford to come here? All Americans rich, you know, and of course, what they may have seen on television was not indicative of Americans at all, right, so the stereotypes were weird um, but there was a it was really hard to to try to convince the people in Kenya about what life in America is really like because they have this idea about it. Did you have that similar experience with these people in mexico
0: yeah, and with my i mean with my limited Spanish, like there wasn't really much I could say or do i mean and they had such a point too, like, I mean, yeah, I am, I mean, I'm privileged just being from America. But then at the same time too, I've met Mexicans that were traveling, I mean, that were literally poor and that were still out doing the same thing. They would just like get a bicycle from somewhere and strap some bags to it or a backpack and there they were, they were just living and traveling through Mexico with no money at all. So they're, they're living the
2: same life. I guess it just goes to yeah. show if you want to go, you can go. Yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. So as you traveled on farther south, um, not everything went smoothly. I understand you had some run-ins with some, some rough characters. Tell us about that.
0: Oh man. (laughs) Um, yeah. So at the Mexico Guatemala border, I was, I was like 20 miles away from the border and I got invited to eat like, and this would happen all the time. Somebody pulled over in front of me and he gets out, he has a wife and there's a child with them. And Invite me to eat. So I go and I have dinner with him. Like it's at this like farm field. We're under a gazebo, and and then after dinner, like this guy and like all the all the farm hands, they disappear around like kind of this building, and I hear the slide release on a pistol. I'm like, like what? Uh-oh. I go and I look. Yeah. And then he like kind of waves me over with a gun. He's like, come here. And I go over and I don't know, the guy pulls cocaine out of this, like kind of like the satchel he had and he offers me Coke. And then I just, no, 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 thank you, no gracias. And then he asked me why. And he asked if I'm religious, like, yeah, I see I'm religious. So, and then he goes around and he like puts this little knife blade into the, into the bag of cocaine and goes around and like gives everybody's with, like gives them all like a little bump of this stuff. And then they just take my bike and throw it in the back of the truck. And they're like, let's go, you know. You're coming with us. Wow. And then I spent, yeah. You spent how long with them? Um, That was four days in total. Three nights, four days. I wasn't allowed to leave. Like, they were trying to keep me longer. Like, it wasn't anything like, I mean, they weren't like, they didn't want anything from me other than, like, I was just new and interesting, you know. Like, I was just, I was kind of their pet for them to take on
2: like no (laughs) so you're just kind of their entertainment i mean you must have been freaking out what were you going through
0: uh i mean my emotions were all over the map because i mean like (laughs) for one like i mean it's like it's like on the appalachian trail they would call it trail magic you know like here i am like with these people like this family and they're taking me to eat and like i'm eating iguana and going to waterfalls and seeing all the local sites But then, like, at the other hand, like, here's this guy with a satchel full of cocaine and a pistol in it, and I'm going on, like, drug deals, and he's teaching me how to, like, bag and sell cocaine.
2: Oh, that's crazy. So you got to see uh, a part of the culture you never planned
0: for. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Wild. So
2: how did you finally get to leave? You said they wouldn't let you go. So how did you get out of there?
0: Yeah, so I'd ask at night. Like, I asked them, like, I mean, the first two nights I asked, and they're like, no, like, longer, and... And then, like, the third night, like, I mean, I literally, I just begged them. And I told them, like, look, I really miss my family. I just want to go home. I want to finish this trip. I just want to see my family. And this is all in Spanish. And my Spanish wasn't very good. But but they understood that meaning. Like, for the most part, like, like the people of Mexico are very family-oriented. Like, way more so than here in the United mm. States. So, like, mm. I mean, that really hit home. So, yeah. So then, yeah, then that night, too, like, I wasn't allowed to just, like, like, I went to sleep and then he wakes me up at like, not that I was sleeping, but it was like 11 o'clock almost midnight. And he's like, let's go. And then I jump in the car with him and there's this nine year old girl with us. And we go and we drive back an hour, like, just like meeting all these guys and selling cocaine. And then we go and eat tacos at three in the morning. And then we pull over on the side of the road and he puts the suburban down into a seat. And then we just like, we go to sleep back there. Like, so when it finally got time where you could leave, get back on the
2: bike and go again I mean did did you just say see ya and that was that or did it was it harder to get away
0: no like he wouldn't let me just ride away from the house like he insisted on driving me to the border and I'm like like thank goodness like as we were as we were like getting near the border like I see these other guys on bicycles (laughs) and I start like yelling out the window I'm like hey you know like yelling at these guys to wait for me and and then, like, this guy stops, and we get to talk to him, and this, it's a, a crew pedal south, actually. They filmed a documentary cycling from, from wow. Alaska to Argentina. Wow. So then, like, yeah. So then I got back in the truck with this guy, and he took me to the border, tried to take me across the border, and I eventually just had to, like, get on my bike and just, like, ride away. And so I rode back to, like, the immigration office where these guys were, and then I rode with them for the next, like, month or so. I didn't ride by myself for a while after that, actually at all on that trip after this, but
2: that's really spooky, dude. That's not the kind of experience you'd want to have. How common do you think that is?
0: Oh, it's it's really, really rare. And I mean like I, I would say like to meet these kind of people, like it happens every once in a while. Like I mean I had spent nights with like you know, like guys that are growing like weed like up in the mountains and the hills and stuff like that. And I mean you just have to be careful. Like there's I mean there's <laughs> drug use is like really frequent, right? I think the big thing is just, like, I mean, just don't, like, keep your nose clean, as they say, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's crazy. And
2: that's, that's a side of this that I would never really thought about. I mean, we've heard of people having run-ins with with some unsavory characters, but the idea that someone invites you to come and, and share a meal, and you've done that several times, and then you get there, and you find out that you're in the middle of some sort of a, a drug gang i mean that's crazy yeah Wow.
0: yeah and the thing is so like i mean it's all it's all with the instincts right so like as soon as they took my bike and put it in the back of the truck like i mean like i knew that it was a really sketchy situation but then i also just had like enough like trust in this guy like i mean i could just tell that like you know it's like sketchy and everything as it is like i didn't think he was actually gonna kill me
2: you know so he never actually threatened you he just controlled you Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. (sighs) Wow. That's really, really wild. How long did it take you to kind of relax and enjoy the trip again after that?
0: (laughs) Um, really maybe a couple days, like since I had met this other group of cyclists, like actually getting to ride with people, it helped so much because now like, I mean, there's safety in numbers, you know, I wasn't just, if I was out there by myself, like, honestly, I don't know that I would have been able to continue there's a really good chance, like, I would have been looking over my shoulder the entire time, like, wondering if these guys were going to come and get me, <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: isn't it fortuitous how things work out then, you know? You got to hook up with these other guys, and that, that really helped.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, it was huge, yeah, for sure.
2: Wild, yeah. wild. So, what happened next from there?
0: Um, so, that was Mexico at the Guatemala border, so then I rode with the Paddle South crew to... Lago Atitlan and then I spent so and then they kept pedaling on and I spent a month actually at this lake there was another group of cyclists that were staying there so I hung out with them and we climbed volcanoes and swam in this lake every day and just man Lago Atitlan is a very special place. Wow that sounds
2: amazing so you you stayed you said for about a month just hanging out there did you stay just because it was so cool you decided to soak it up or what?
0: Um, Yeah, for a lot of reasons. I mean one just because it was so cool, but then I had found like a free place to stay There was this guy named Merlin that opened his house up to to just travelers So I mean I had a free spot in his lawn just to sleep and I mean it's beautiful there I don't think it rained the entire month. I was there and yeah It's hard to pass up a free place to stay when there's I mean there's three volcanoes on the lake itself And then with the surrounding area too. I mean there's so much to explore Wow, so are these active volcanoes? or? Um, yeah, I don't think so, currently. I, well, I guess they are. I mean, there's like heat coming out of the volcano itself, so maybe they are. So geothermically active at least, right? Yeah. Huh, wild. And what about this lake?
2: I, I haven't heard of it before.
0: Oh, Lago Atitlan. Um, so it's a, it used to be a volcano. Like this whole area was a volcano that went Mount St. Helens. So the lake itself is actually, it's the... It's the crater from when this volcano erupted. Is
2: it a really pristine, like
0: like Crater Lake, or something like that? Um, I've never been to Crater Lake, but the water is crystal clear. I mean, you can see twenty feet down, and I mean, it's crystal clear, blue, amazing water. Man,
2: what a contrast from getting um, kind of <gasps> Shanghaied and and <laughs> held up by these these drug dealers, right? From that to hanging out in paradise. That's crazy.
0: Right. And that's the thing with travel. I mean, it's, it's the highs and lows of life to an extreme.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So how much more biking did you have left at this point?
0: Uh, well, so my goal is actually to ride to Panama. Um, so I had from there, it would have been roughly maybe 2000 miles, but I ended up calling it short or calling it quits in, in El Salvador. I got sick. I ended up with, I think it was giardia. I'm not entirely sure. I got really sick and then had to like, I rode my bike that way. I would just have to Ugh. stop and like, poop on. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. But, and then, yeah, so I called it quits a little bit early in El Salvador and not really call it quits, but it's like, it's the finish later. One of my goals is to ride to the bottom of, of Patagonia. So
2: nice. Yeah, that's awesome. So it's a, to be continued then. Exactly. Right on. So you were feeling badly and you're in El Salvador and you finally say, okay, it's, it, this is enough for now. Um, how did you get back home
0: again? Um, an airplane, yeah. So just buy a plane ticket and that's that. Yeah, I, I guess it's nowhere near that simple because when you have a bicycle, like the typical like procedure for flying with a bike would be to put it in a box. And in El Salvador, you can't just like go to a bike shop and find a a box that's special specific for bikes. So I ended up having to like take the bike apart and wrap it in saran wrap. I was actually in the airport doing that with the guys there. We just like put it <laughs> on one of their like machines and like spun this whole thing together. Yeah.
2: Well that's crazy. So back home again, back in Pittsburgh. Um what are your thoughts about that trip to El Salvador after the fact?
0: Oh man. Well it was really, really intense. And, like, the intensity of that trip was just like, I don't know, like, gave me a whole new level of confidence. And just, like, I mean, just, like, I don't know. I'm just so much more confident for having done that trip. But I guess it changed a lot. Like, I, I intended to fly back to El Salvador and, like, resume the trip to Patagonia. But then I kind of backed out at the last minute and hiked the Appalachian Trail instead. <laughs> because it was so intense, I just wanted something that was a little bit a little team, I guess I wanted to live in the woods for a while.
2: <laughs> That's wild. So last minute change of plans, you hike the AT and, you know, we could probably spend a whole nother show just talking about that, but give us just a brief sketch contrast hiking the AT with this amazing bike trip.
0: Whew. Um. Wow. So the Appalachian trail, it's, it's a lot easier in a sense like the Appalachian trail and I'm assuming all the long distance hiking trails, are it's like an artificial bubble so like you get on this thing and you're just like in this community of other hikers you're going into like these hiker towns where everybody knows what you're doing already whereas on the bike like you exist in the real world like you're dealing Mm. with people who have no idea what you're doing like they just see a guy on this crazy bike with all this stuff so like the interactions in that sense are so much different and then like you're in the real world on the bicycle so like you're free to travel anywhere you want to go like you have to actually like I mean, like go to supermarkets by looking at a map instead of like, oh, here's a road. Let's hitchhike into a grocery store that's in my guidebook. Right. So the AT
2: was, I guess what you're trying to say there is that the AT is just a <laughs> lot more ex- expected and planned and, and normalized for backpackers. And so it wasn't nearly the the big adventure that you you had on the bike.
0: Um. Yeah, I guess.
2: Yeah. I mean I don't want to put words but, in your
0: mouth. Maybe I'm completely in left field on that, right? Um, yeah, because I mean on the bicycle too, it's just I think what made that so intense was just dealing with like a whole different culture. Like oh, yeah. I would say like road touring in general, like if you're touring in like the United States, like it's I don't know, I guess it would just be like a lot. It would just be more similar. I don't I don't really know what I'm saying. <laughs> well,
2: It's kind of fascinating to contrast the two. I mean, I would love to do either trip, you know, the AT or the bike trip. They both sound awesome to me. But uh, if you had to choose, which one would you prefer right now?
0: Oh, right now, I'm ready to go backpacking again.
2: Cool. Yeah. Well, you told me before we hit record here that you have a backpacking trip coming up very soon. So um, tell us about that.
0: Um, So in July, July 10th, actually, I'll be going southbound on the pacific crest trail
2: pacific crest trail well that's cool you'll be paralleling the route that you took on the bicycle
0: yeah yep except in the mountains and on foot this time
2: so you're trying to do the whole trail starting in july you think you'll get it done
0: um i hope so yeah so i've been doing a lot of training i hit the gym like pretty much every single day like i'm actually i'm training really hard for this trip because going southbound you do have to you do have to hit the trail with your legs already So,
2: so how many miles do you think you'll have to do to, to make this happen? I mean, each day, Uh, right?
0: Yeah. So it's going to come down to about a 20 mile an hour day or a 20 mile day average. 20 mile day average. It's probably doable. Yeah. From everything I hear about the Pacific Crest Trail, you're, people are typically doing like a third the distance more than they would on the Appalachian Trail. So like a 20 mile day is going to be like a 30 mile day on the Pacific Crest Trail.
2: Okay. Okay. So the Pacific Crest
0: Trail's easier then, is that safe to say? Um, it's easier in terms of in terms of like the footbed itself, like the trail itself. It's like it's a better grade. It's more constant. You don't have all the rocks and the roots and the straight up, straight down that the Appalachian Trail is like notorious for. Oh, gotcha.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. So, well, that sounds so cool. Man, I love it that you have found a way to, uh, like we said at the beginning of the show, found a way to plug into adventure sports and that they've made a real difference in your life and provided you with experiences that very few people get to have. I mean, there are an awful lot of listeners right now that are jealous, you know, even though you had some scary times in there. I I know that there are people that are just like, dang, I got to do something like that. So any uh, parting words of advice? for people that want to go out and take on some of these adventures?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I would say just go out there and do it. I mean, if it's money that's holding you back, like the key is to, is to just like limit your finances, like cut all the bills that you can and make it happen. Like, I mean, if you have to move into an equipment trailer somewhere, move into a van or in a car, like, I mean, just do whatever it takes. Like if this is something that you want to do, commit to it, say you're going to do it and tell people that you're going to do it and then just go out there and, and make it happen.
2: Yeah, well, that's really cool. So, Ryan, we got to cover a little bit of stuff here that people need to, to hear about. One is that you are now a brand ambassador for Sierra Designs, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's awesome. So when did that start up? Um, That was last month. Well, it's neat that you uh, got the opportunity to work with uh, a major outdoors manufacturer now to get try some equipment out and kind of plug into the outdoors industry a little bit more. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I want to go back to your Instagram page. Tell us about your Instagram because that's pretty extensive.
0: Um, Yeah, so I started the Instagram. I'm pretty new to Instagram, actually. I started it last year for the Appalachian Trail. So most of the photos on there are from the Appalachian Trail. But then I also, like between different adventures, I've been posting from I rode the Baja Divide this January and February, so there's some pictures from that on there, um, and then just other pictures from like, like volcanoes in Guatemala and other pictures from like the bike trips that I've done. Right on. So if
2: people want to track you as you do the the PCT this time, then will you be posting as you go?
0: Yeah. So I'll be posting to my Instagram, and I'll also be keeping a blog at uh, www.kodakbrown.com
2: kodakbrown.com right on so we can live vicariously through you a little bit thanks for doing that man yeah thank you yeah very cool i gotta ask you this question it's one we started asking just recently but um what advice would you give your younger self if you could go back in time a few years what would you tell your younger self
0: oh man i would go back to my early 20s and i would tell myself to start traveling then To like get out there and start living life (laughs) Oh, that's cool. So it made a world of difference, huh? Yeah, it made all the difference. Like when I was in my early 20s, I mean, I mean, you can still like, I'm still like kind of anxious when I speak. But back then, I mean, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to have this conversation. I just, I couldn't do it. Even speaking on the phone was actually really frightening for me.
2: Wow. You know, it's a, it's a part of going from a boy to a man too. Sometimes you just have to take something on and sounds like it worked for you.
0: That Modern day, like spirit quests, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool, man. Thanks for sharing your stories with us. I love to hear stories from people that have done the epic stuff like you have. And and, uh, it's just really, really cool to hear your stories and get your perspective about it. And also to hear about how it made it such a difference in your life. So thanks for your time, dude. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, very cool. And let's stay in touch. I want to hear how it goes on the PCT when you get done okay we will do alright and for all of our listeners out there thanks for listening in as we visit with Ryan Kodak Brown here about his adventures and misadventures <laughs> it's been a fun hour went really really fast until the next show make sure that you also get out there and have some
1: fun first of all